August 19 through August 25 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, August 19. He shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. Micah 5, verse 4. Christ's reign in his church is that of a shepherd king. He has supremacy, but it is the superiority of a wise and tender shepherd over his needy and loving flock. He commands and receives obedience, but it is the willing obedience of the well-cared-for sheep rendered joyfully to their beloved shepherd, whose voice they know so well. He rules by the force of love and the energy of goodness. His reign is practical in its character. It is said, he shall stand and feed. The great head of the church is actively engaged in providing for his people. He does not sit down upon the throne in empty state or hold a scepter without wielding it in government. No, he stands and feeds. The expression feed in the original is like an analogous one in the Greek, which means to shepherdize, to do everything expected of a shepherd, to guide, to watch, to preserve, to restore, to tend, as well as to feed. His reign is continual in its duration. It is said, he shall stand and feed, not he shall feed now and then and leave his position, not he shall one day grant a revival and then next day leave his church to barrenness. His eyes never slumber and his hands never rest. His heart never ceases to beat with love and his shoulders are never weary of carrying his people's burdens. His reign is effectually powerful in its action. He shall feed in the strength of Jehovah. Wherever Christ is, there is God and whatever Christ does is the act of the Most High. Oh, it is a joyful truth to consider that he who stands today representing the interests of his people is very God of very God, to whom every knee shall bow. Happy are we who belong to such a shepherd, whose humanity communes with us, and whose divinity protects us. Let us worship and bow down before him as the people of his pasture evening august nineteen pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me for thou art my strength psalm thirty one verse four our spiritual foes are of the serpent's brood and seek to ensnare us by subtlety the prayer before us supposes the possibility of the believer being caught like a bird so deftly does the fowler do his work that simple ones are soon surrounded by the net the text asks that even out of satan's meshes the captive one may be delivered this is a proper petition and one which can be granted from between the jaws of the lion and out of the belly of hell can eternal love rescue the saint it may need a sharp pull to save a soul from the net of temptations and a mighty pull to extricate a man from the snares of malicious cunning but the Lord is equal to every emergency. 
and the most skillfully placed nets of the hunter shall never be able to hold his chosen ones. Woe to those who are so clever at net-laying! They who tempt others shall be destroyed themselves, for thou art my strength. What an inexpressible sweetness is to be found in these few words! How joyfully may we encounter toils, and how cheerfully may we endure sufferings when we lay hold upon celestial strength. Divine power will rend asunder all the toils of our enemies, confound their politics, and frustrate their knavish tricks. He is a happy man who has such matchless might engaged upon his side. Our own strength would be of little service when embarrassed in the nets of base cunning, but the Lord's strength is ever available. We have but to invoke it, and we shall find it near at hand. If by faith we are depending alone upon the strength of the Almighty God of Israel, we may use our own holy reliance as a plea in supplication. Lord, evermore thy face we seek. Tempted are we, and poor and weak. Keep us with lowly hearts and meek. Let us not fall. Let us not fall. Morning, August 20. The Sweet Psalmist of Israel. Second Samuel 23, 1. Among all the saints whose lives are recorded in holy writ, David possesses an experience of the most striking, varied, and instructive character. In his history, we meet with trials and temptations not to be discovered, as a whole, in other saints of ancient times, and hence he is all the more suggestive a type of our Lord. David knew the trials of all ranks and conditions of men. Kings have their troubles, and David wore a crown. The peasant had his cares, and David huddled the shepherd's crook. The wanderer has many hardships, and David abode in the caves of Engedi. The captain has his difficulties, and David found the sons of Zeruath too hard for him. The psalmist was also tried in his friends. His counselor, Ahithophel, forsook him. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. His worst foes were they of his own household. His children were his greatest affliction. The temptations of poverty and wealth, of honor and reproach, of health and weakness, all tried their power upon him. He had temptations from without to disturb his peace, and from within to mar his joy. David no sooner escaped from one trial than he fell into another. No sooner emerged from one season of despondency and alarm than he was again brought into the lowest depths, and all God's waves and billows rolled over him. It is probably from this cause that David's psalms are so universally the delight of experienced Christians. Whatever our frame of mind, whether ecstasy or depression, David has exactly described our emotions. He was an able master of the human heart, because he had been tutored in the best of all schools, the school of heartfelt personal experience. As we are instructed in the same school, as we grow matured in grace and in years, we increasingly appreciate David's psalms and find them to be green pastures. My soul, 
Let David's experience cheer and counsel thee this day. Evening, August 20 And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. Nehemiah 3, verse 8 Cities well fortified have broad walls, and so had Jerusalem in her glory. The new Jerusalem must, in like manner, be surrounded and preserved by a broad wall of non-conformity to the world and separation from its customs and spirit. The tendency of these days break down the holy barrier and make the distinction between the church and the world merely nominal. Professors are no longer strict and puritanical. Questionable literature is read on all hands. Frivolous pastimes are currently indulged and a general laxity threatens to deprive the Lord's peculiar people of those sacred singularities which separate them from sinners. It will be an ill day for the church and the world when the proposed amalgamation shall be complete, and the sons of God and the daughters of men shall be as one. Then shall another deluge of wrath be ushered in. Beloved reader, be it your aim in heart, in word, in dress, in action, to maintain the broad wall, remembering that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. The broad wall afforded a pleasant place of resort for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, from which they could command prospects of the surrounding country. This reminds us of the Lord's exceeding broad commandments, in which we walk at liberty in communion with Jesus, overlooking the scenes of earth and looking out towards the glories of heaven separated from the world and denying ourselves all ungodliness and fleshly lusts we are nevertheless not in prison nor restricted within narrow bounds nay we walk at liberty because we keep his precepts come reader this evening walk with god in his statutes as friend met friend upon the city wall so meet thou thy God in the way of holy prayer and meditation. The bulwarks of salvation thou hast the right to traverse, for thou art a freeman of the royal bird, a citizen of the metropolis of the universe. Morning, August 21 He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 11 Verse 25. We are here taught the great lesson that to get we must give, that to accumulate we must scatter, that to make ourselves happy we must make others happy, and that in order to become spiritually vigorous we must seek the spiritual good of others. In watering others we are ourselves watered. How? Our efforts to be useful bring out our powers for usefulness. We have latent talents and dormant faculties which are brought to light by exercise. Our strength for labor is hidden even from ourselves until we venture forth to fight the Lord's battles or to climb the mountains of difficulty. We do not know what tender sympathies we possess until we try to dry the widow's tears and soothe the orphan's grief. We often find in attempting to teach others that we gain instruction for ourselves. Oh, what gracious lessons some of us have learned at sick beds. We went to teach the scriptures. We came away blushing that we knew so little of them. 
in our converse with poor saints we are taught the way of god more perfectly for ourselves and get a deeper insight into the divine truth so that watering others makes us humble we discover how much grace there is where we had not looked for it and how much the poor saints may outstrip us in knowledge our own comfort is also increased by our working for others we endeavor to cheer them and the consolation gladdens our own heart like the two men in the snow one chafed the other's limbs to keep him from dying and in so doing kept his own blood in circulation and saved his own life the poor widow of sarepta gave from her scanty store a supply for the prophet's wants and from that day she never again knew what want was give them and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down and running over evening august twenty one i said not unto the seed of jacob seek ye me in vain isaiah forty five verse nineteen we may gain much solace by considering what god has not said what he has said is inexpressibly full of comfort and delight what he has not said is scarcely less rich in consolation it was one of these said nots which preserved the kingdom of israel in the days of jeroboam the son of joash for the lord said not that he would blot out the name of israel from under heaven second kings fourteen verse twenty seven in our text we have an assurance that god will answer prayer because he hath not said unto the seed of israel seek ye me in vain you who write bitter things against yourselves should remember that let your doubts and fears say what they will if god has not cut you off from mercy there is no room for despair even the voice of conscience is of little weight if it be not seconded by the voice of god but god has said tremble at but suffer not your vain imaginations to overwhelm you with despondency and sinful despair many timid persons have been vexed by the suspicion that there may be something in god's decree which shuts them out from hope but here is a complete refutation of that troublesome fear for no true seeker can be decreed to wrath i have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth i have not said even in the secret my unsearchable decree seek ye me in vain god has clearly revealed that he will hear the prayer of those who call upon him and that declaration cannot be contravened he has so firmly so truthfully so righteously spoken that there can be no room for doubt he does not reveal his mind in unintelligible words but he speaks plainly and positively ask and ye shall receive believe o trembler this sure truth that prayer must and shall be heard and that never even in the secrets of eternity has the lord said unto any living soul seek ye me in vain morning august twenty two i charge you o daughters of jerusalem if ye find my beloved that ye tell him that i am sick of love song of solomon five verse eight such is the language of the believer panting after present fellowship with jesus he is sick for his lord 
gracious souls are never perfectly at ease except they are in a state of nearness to christ for when they are away from him they lose their peace the nearer to him the nearer to the perfect calm of heaven the nearer to him the fuller the heart is not only of peace but of life and vigor and joy for these all depend on constant intercourse with jesus what the sun is to the day what the moon is to the night what the dew is to the flowering such is jesus christ to us what bread is to the hungry clothing to the naked the shadow of a great rock to the traveller in a weary land such is jesus christ to us and therefore if we are not consciously one with him little marvel if our spirit cries in the words of the song i charge you o ye daughters of jerusalem if ye find my beloved tell him that i am sick of love this earnest longing after jesus has a blessing attending it blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness and therefore supremely blessed are they who thirst after the righteous one blessed is that hunger since it comes from god if i may not have the full-blown blessedness of being filled i would seek the same blessedness in its sweet bud pining in emptiness and eagerness till i am filled with christ if i may not feed on jesus it shall be next door to heaven to hunger and thirst after him there is a hallowedness about that hunger since it sparkles among the beatitudes of our lord but the blessing involves a promise such hungry ones shall be filled with what they are desiring if christ thus causes us to long after himself he will certainly satisfy those longings and when he does come to us as come he will oh how sweet it will be evening august twenty two the unsearchable riches of christ ephesians three verse eight my master has riches beyond the count of arithmetic the measure of reason the dream of imagination or the eloquence of words they are unsearchable you may look and study and weigh but jesus is a greater savior than you think him to be when your thoughts are at the greatest my lord is more ready to pardon than you to sin more able to forgive than you to trespass my master is more willing to supply your wants than you are to confess them never tolerate low thoughts of my lord jesus when you put the crown on his head you will only crown him with silver when he deserves gold my master has riches of happiness to bestow upon you now he can make you to lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters there is no music like the music of his pipe when he is the shepherd and you are the sheep and you lie down at his feet there is no love like his neither earth nor heaven can match it to know christ and to be found in him oh this is life this is joy this is marrow and fatness wine on the lees well refined my master does not treat his servants churlishly he gives to them as a king giveth to a king he gives them two heavens a heaven below and serving him here 
and a heaven above in delighting in him forever his unsearchable riches will be best known in eternity he will give you on the way to heaven all you need your place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks your bread shall be given to you and your waters shall be sure but it is there there where you shall hear the song of them that triumph the shout of them that feast and shall have a face-to-face -face view of the glorious and beloved one the unsearchable riches of christ this is the tune for the minstrels of earth and the song for the harpers of heaven lord teach us more and more of jesus and we will tell out the good news to others morning august twenty three the voice of weeping shall be no more heard isaiah sixty five verse nineteen the glorified weep no more for all outward causes of grief are gone there are no broken friendships nor blighted prospects in heaven poverty famine peril persecution and slander are unknown there no pain distresses no thought of death or bereavement saddens they weep no more for they are perfectly sanctified no evil heart of unbelief prompts them to depart from the living god they are without fault before his throne and are fully conformed to his image well may they cease to mourn who have ceased to sin they weep no more because all fear of change is past they know that they are eternally secure sin is shut out and they are shut in they dwell within a city which shall never be stormed they bask in a sun which shall never set they drink of a river which shall never dry they pluck fruit from a tree which shall never wither countless cycles may revolve but eternity shall not be exhausted and while eternity endures their immortality and blessedness shall coexist with it they are forever with the lord they weep no more because every desire is fulfilled they cannot wish for anything which they have not in possession eye and ear heart and hand judgment imagination hope desire will all the faculties are completely satisfied and imperfect as our present ideas are of the things which god hath prepared for them that love him yet we know enough by the revelation of the spirit that the saints above are supremely blessed the joy of christ which is an infinite fullness of delight is in them they bathe themselves in the bottomless, shoreless sea of infinite beatitude. That same joyful rest remains for us. It may not be far distant. Ere long the weeping willows shall be exchanged for the palm branch of victory, and sorrow's dewdrops shall be transformed into the pearls of everlasting bliss. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Evening, August 23 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Ephesians 3, verse 17. Beyond measure, it is desirable that we, as believers, should have the person of Jesus constantly before us to inflame our love towards him and to increase our knowledge of him. I would to God that my readers were all entered as diligent scholars in Jesus' college, students of Corpus Christi, or the body of Christ, 
resolved to attain unto a good degree in the learning of the cross. But to have Jesus ever near, the heart must be full of him, welling up with his love, even to overrunning. Hence the apostle prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts. See how near he would have Jesus to be? You cannot get a subject closer to you than to have it in the heart itself. That he may dwell, not that he may call upon you sometimes, as a casual visitor enters into a house and tarries for a night, but that he may dwell, that Jesus may become the Lord and tenant of your inmost being, never more to go out. Observe the words, that he may dwell in your heart, that best room of the house of manhood, not in your thoughts alone, but in your affections, not merely in the mind's meditations, but in the heart's emotions. We should pant after love to Christ of a most abiding character, not a love that flames up and then dies out into the darkness of a few embers, but a constant flame fed by sacred fuel, like the fire upon the altar which never went out. This cannot be accomplished except by faith. Faith must be strong, or love will not be fervent. The root of the flower must be healthy, or we cannot expect the bloom to be sweet. Faith is a lily's root, and love is a lily's bloom. Now, reader, Jesus cannot be in your heart's love except you have a firm hold of him by your heart's faith. And therefore, pray that you may always trust Christ in order that you may always love him. If love be cold, be sure that faith is drooping. Morning, August 24. The breaker is come up before thee. Micah 2, verse 13. Inasmuch as Jesus has gone before us, things remain not as they would have been had he never passed that way. He has conquered every foe that obstructed the way. Cheer up now, thou faint-hearted warrior. Not only has Christ traveled the road, but he has slain thine enemies. Dost thou dread sin? He has nailed it to the cross. Dost thou fear death? He has been the death of death. Art thou afraid of hell? He has barred it against the advent of any of his children. They shall never see the gulf of perdition. Whatever foes may be before the Christian, they are all overcome. There are lions, but their teeth are broken. There are serpents, but their fangs are extracted. There are rivers, but they are bridged or fordable. There are flames, but we wear that matchless garment which renders us invulnerable to fire. The sword that has been forged against us is already blunted. The instruments of war which the enemy is preparing have already lost their point. God has taken away in the person of Christ all the power that anything can have to hurt us. Well, then, the army may safely march on, and you may go joyously along your journey, for all your enemies are conquered beforehand. What shall you do but march on to take the prey? They are beaten. They are vanquished. All you have to do is to divide the spoil. You shall, it is true, often engage in combat, but your fight shall be with a vanquished foe. His head is broken. He may attempt to injure you, but his strength shall not be sufficient for his malicious design. Your victory shall be easy, and your treasure shall be beyond all count. 
proclaim aloud the Saviour's fame, who bears the breaker's wondrous name, sweet name, and it becomes him well, who breaks down earth, sin, death, and hell. Evening, August 24. If fire break out and catch in thorns, so that the stacks of corn, or the standing corn, or the field, be consumed therewith, he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Exodus 22, verse 6. But what restitution can he make who casts abroad the firebrands of error, or the coals of lasciviousness, and sets men's souls on a blaze with the fire of hell? The guilt is beyond estimate, and the result is irretrievable. If such an offender be forgiven, what grief it will cause him in the retrospect, since he cannot undo the mischief which he has done. An ill example may kindle a flame which years of amended character cannot quench. To burn the food of man is bad enough, but how much worse to destroy the soul. It may be useful to us to reflect how far we may have been guilty in the past, and to inquire whether, even in the present, there may not be evil in us which has a tendency to bring damage to the souls of our relatives, friends, or neighbors. The fire of strife is a terrible evil when it breaks out in a Christian church where converts are multiplied and God was glorified. Jealousy and envy do the devil's work most effectually. Where the golden grain was being housed to reward the toil of the great Boaz, the fire of enmity comes in and leaves little else but smoke and a heap of blackness. Woe unto those by whom offenses come. May they never come through us, for although we cannot make restitution, we shall certainly be the chief sufferers if we are the chief offenders. Those who feed the fire deserve just censure, but he who first kindles it is most to blame. Discord usually takes first hold upon the thorns. It is nurtured among the hypocrites and base professors in the church, and away it goes among the righteous, blown by the winds of hell, and no one knows where it may end. O thou Lord, the giver of peace, make us peacemakers, and never let us aid and abet the men of strife, or even unintentionally cause the least division among thy people. Morning august twenty five his fruit was sweet to my taste song of solomon two verse three faith in the scripture is spoken of under the album of all the senses it is sight look unto me and be ye saved it is hearing hear and your soul shall live faith is smelling all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia thy name is as ointment poured forth. Faith is spiritual touch. By this faith the woman came behind and touched the hem of Christ's garment, and by this we handle the things of the good word of life. How sweet are thy words to my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my lips. Except a man eat my flesh, saith Christ, and drink my blood, there is no life in him. This taste is faith in one of its highest operations. One of the first performances of faith is hearing. We hear the voice of God, not with the outward ear alone, but with the inward ear. 
we hear it as God's word, and we believe it to be so. That is the hearing of faith. Then our mind looketh upon the truth as it is presented to us. That is to say, we understand it. We perceive its meaning. That is the seeing of faith. Next, we discover its preciousness. We begin to admire it and find how fragrant it is. That is faith in its smell. Then we appropriate the mercies which are prepared for us in Christ. That is faith in its touch. Hence follow the enjoyments, peace, delight, communion, which are faith in its taste. Any one of these acts of faith is saving. To hear Christ's voice as a sure voice of God in the soul will save us. But that which gives true enjoyment is the aspect of faith wherein Christ, by holy taste, is received into us and made by inward and spiritual apprehension of his sweetness and preciousness to be the food of our souls. It is then we sit under his shadow with great delight and find his fruit sweet to our taste. Evening, August 25. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Acts 8, verse 37. These words may answer your scruples, devout reader, concerning the ordinances. Perhaps you say, I should be afraid to be baptized. It is such a solemn thing to avow myself to be dead with Christ and buried with him. I should not feel at liberty to come to the master's table. I should be afraid of eating and drinking damnation unto myself, not discerning the Lord's body. Ah, poor trembler, Jesus has given you liberty. Be not afraid. If a stranger came to your house, he would stand at the door or wait in the hall. He would not dream of intruding unbidden into your parlor. He is not at home. But your child makes himself very free about the house, and so it is with the child of God. A stranger may not intrude where a child may venture. When the Holy Ghost has given you to feel the spirit of adoption, you may come to Christian ordinances without fear. The same rule holds good of the Christian's inward privileges. You think, poor seeker, that you are not allowed to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you are permitted to get inside Christ's door or sit at the bottom of his table, you will be well content. Ah, but you shall not have less privileges than the very greatest. God makes no difference in his love to his children. A child is a child to him. He will not make him a hired servant, but he shall feast upon the fatted calf and shall have the music and the dancing as much as if he had never gone astray. When Jesus comes into the heart, he issues a general license to be glad in the Lord. No chains are worn in the court of King Jesus. Our admission into full privileges may be gradual, but it is sure. Perhaps our reader is saying, I wish I could enjoy the promises and walk at liberty in my Lord's commands. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Loose the chains of thy neck, O captive daughter, for Jesus makes thee free. End of August 19th through August 25th